Welcome to Rationalist, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your co-host, Morgan Wack, and I'm here with the introspective Eddie Matthews. That's definitely the most accurate adjective you've used on me so far. <laughs> I, I enjoyed perspicacious, but uh, yeah, introspective. I still don't know what perspicacious means. That's part of the reason why I enjoyed it, just, just to stump the, uh, the creative writing major. Yeah. PhD, sorry, excuse me. Well... You know, don't ever make that mistake again. I will not. I will not. We'll have to restart the pod next time. Yeah. So, uh, ag- again, I'm, I'm parked uh, next to a street, so sorry if there's any ambient noise. You listeners, we appreciate your grace. Uh, I guess you could say listening to this podcast is an act of grace, you know? <laughs> it certainly is. It's certainly going to get people in the mood for what we're talking about today, so... That's a good thing. What are we talking about today? Well, you sent me an article on basically falling fertility rates, specifically to do with with Denmark, but it touched on a lot of other things, and I did a little background research as well to add some some nice anecdotes here and there i don't think it i don't think it had to do with denmark i think it just had to do with the like millennials in general falling birth rates it was centered around denmark's policies right but it it definitely was more about the young generations and the way that the modern economy has affected people all over the globe yeah and we'll post it in the in the pod right in the notes yeah the end the end of babies by Anna Louis Sussman, uh, in New York Times op-ed. What was it about? Well, so I think, so it talked about Denmark, China, and U.S., and the falling birth rates kind of hitting a historic low, or at least, you know, a 30 to 40 year low in each of those places, and um, each of them for slightly different reasons. So... Starting off in Denmark, right? So I'll just kind of quote this little two sentences of the article. Being one of the wealthiest in Europe, new parents enjoy 12 months paid family leave and highly subsidized daycare. Women under 40 can get state-funded IVF. But Denmark's fertility rate at 1.7 births per woman is roughly on par with that of the United States. A reproductive malaise has settled over this otherwise happy land. Um... So just kind of making the case that even with all of the kind of support and protections of the state and and incentives, right, um, it's still on par with the U.S. that has none of those same supports from the state. Um, And then, you know, kind of went on to talk about how in China, despite them um, lifting the one-child ban in 2015, there hasn't been much of an appetite to have more than one child. Um, because there's kind of this massive pressure to, com- to create the perfect, what they call culti- cultivate global citizens, and um, just this pressure to, to, to have everything available for your child so that they you know, flourish in the increasingly globalized world uh, within China. And talking about how with China's uh, economic conditions at the, being polarized at the time, especially in the big cities... Um, 
it's just expensive and provides a disincentive for um, young couples to have children. And then, yeah, it also talks about the U.S. and how essentially, again, just how expensive it is, how the uh, our Americans are also not uh, typically inclined to do so because they would rather kind of pursue education, work, and travel, um, similar to the Danish, but without, but also with the extra, um, I guess, burden of uh, having a lot more student debt, you know, or certainly more than Denmark, and um, just in general, taking more time to find their feet in adult life. So I feel like that's kind of a summation of the three countries that it talked about, and then we can talk about some of the more the undercurrent um, that basically is endemic in the millennial generation, of which you and I are a part. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple different issues here. Great summary, as always. The main idea to keep in mind is this idea of below replacement fertility rates, uh, which is 2.0. So if everyone, every couple had two children, they would basically replace themselves. That's why it's called the replacement rate. And this is the kind of optimal... Actually, it's, it's more like the minimal necessity to keep your economy functioning because you have to have people come around that end up taking the jobs of the people that die off. And that's why it's an... Yeah, either that, yeah, either that or um, you have to allow an increased immigration Exactly, rate, right? yeah. So that's what the U.S. does. The U.S. has had below uh, impl- replacement levels of, Im- of fertility for years. And they've, you know, made up the difference between 1.7 and 2, which is what the current rate is um, with immigration for a long time. Um, and as that becomes or has remained controversial, this issue has not gone away. Although I don't hear as much about the fertility rate discussion in the United States as I do in other countries where immigration is harder to satisfy or at least even more controversial. Places like Japan, which has a f- even far fewer fertility rate um, and yeah. much more restrictive policies on immigration their population is actually yeah. predicted by many to half by 2060 because of these i think yeah yeah that's fascinating because Jap- uh japanese society historically and certainly now um ha- is the most at least of countries i can think of maybe maybe we can find a different country that is but i think it's just the most homogenized society in the world right certainly in developed countries i mean Purposely so, right? Their immigration right. rates yeah. are, you know, they're notoriously strict when it comes to trying to get anything beyond a, a tourist visa. I think they took for um, like Syrian refugees or just refugees in general. I I want to quote this accurately, but I believe in that era they took like less than a dozen, <laughs> like the entire country. Those must be some fairly amazing refugees. Like yeah, <laughs> like so. three doctorates and <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, so yeah, that's that's that might be an interesting um, episode in and of itself is like looking at why those policies have been in place. But um, yeah, regardless, continue. Yeah, it would it definitely is, and a lot of people have debated it. But I think there there's definitely through currents. The interesting part is like you mentioned, where there are very different cultural, social, and political practices all throughout the the developing world mainly, and yet fertility rates have declined in almost all of them. Um, and that, you know, kind of hints at the fact that this is something, some larger movement 
in terms of either economic or social developments that is driving universal or global change, which really it doesn't happen very often in terms of anything. Um, and we can talk about the reasons that might be happening. Uh, but also, I, I just want to ask you, do you think, like, why is this a concern? I know why it's a concern for governments. And I've heard different arguments for why it's a concern from businesses. But do you feel like individual people need to be concerned? Or do you feel like this is all tied together? Uh, I guess yes to all of the above. Okay. Um, what, I, what I mean by that is... Um, I think that in order to have a functional society or at least a livable society, you need citizens to find meaning outside of strictly their own self-satisfaction or like self-gratification through accumulating resources and experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that having kids forces you to put yourself second or third. And I think that that is a necessary, healthy way of being in the world. And um, I think without that on a long enough time frame or timeline rather, um, our societies are just going to become even more um, solipsistic and self-centered and um, depression rates are going to continue to skyrocket. Anxiety is going to continue to skyrocket because we're going to, we have this kind of insatiable desire or thirst for meaning that I think spirituality, um, fulfills for, you know, devotees of the major religions in the East and the West or having kids for, for those non-religious, um, people. And so if you don't have kids and you don't have spirituality, I think there's a void of meaning that can't be filled with capitalism, you know, or a pursuit of, you know, exotic experiences or resources or that kind of thing. So that's kind of why I think it's problematic. And then aside from all the economic implications of not having, you know, just so in higher education, right? uh, The idea of the higher education market potentially you know, falling apart just because there's not going to be physically enough students to sustain nearly the amount of institutions that we have currently, you know? So maybe there will be uh, 60% or 40% of those institutions that survive. Um, but if if this kind of continues, then I imagine that's going to fall apart as well, or at least in the current structure. So, yeah, what do you think? Well, I'd say that last part might not be a bad thing. Um yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's, you're implicitly saying that having children gives you meaning. I think that can be true, but I don't think it's necessarily true. Um, and I think that a lot of that thinking that children do give you meaning is what's eroding. The, just the, the sense that right. children will deliver you some sort of purpose in life. I don't think that's as strong right. as it was 20, 30 years ago. And I'm not sure by just having more children well, that will actually well, come I, back. Yeah. I think that's veri- like measurably and verifiably true mm-hmm. based on the birth rates, right? That that is eroding. But I don't I don't necessarily I don't know if that's that, true. I don't know if the the declining birth rates necessarily signal that people think that it's they'll find less meaning in children. The rates of how many kids people want to have is is much higher than the actual rate, which 
yeah shows that there is some sort of gap between you know actualizing yeah. and perceptions of you know ideal rates of children yeah no that's a good point i i guess what i would say to that is i'm not necessarily saying that that meaning is found inherently in having children i guess i'm saying that having children is one usually pretty surefire way to find meaning and if you don't have children there's you know many other ways to find meaning but it has to i i guess i contend that finding meaning has to be some sort of self self-sacrificing or self-sacrificial process and it's a lot harder to do that on your own without somebody like kind of forcing you into it or a baby forcing you into it or some kid that requires, you know, the, the best of you day after day after day, right? Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it's optimistic to think that having a child has that much of an effect on most people. I think we can pick out specific examples where that's true, but I think on a whole, and this is the problem with really high fertility rates, right? That that might not necessarily be true. And then you end up with a lot of children around who grew up in homes where they had a tough time and they weren't given the attention that they need to succeed in modern life. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's the main problem with, with this either. I think a lot of this is just, I think the one side is economic, right? With current costs, you're talking about education. I think the reason that education rates will decline overall is not because it's an unattended side effect, but because of the direct effect of the rising cost of education that convince parents that they can't afford to have another child in a lot of places, yeah, especially yeah. the United States. And so that's kind of yeah. uh, something of their own making in one way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, so, I don't know. I It's interesting because I was talking to my friend Jeff. Shout out to Jeff. Um, he's 46, kind of solidly, I guess, in the middle of the Gen X kind of generation. That's all and I need to know. For, Got him. Perfect. Yeah. So for him and I think Gen X being kind of a, uh, a, uh, in continuity with baby boomers and certainly the generation, the great generation before baby boomers, um, it like having kids for, I think you could say the majority of people wasn't they didn't conceptualize it as a uh economic expenditure right or they didn't they didn't do like a cost benefit analysis of that it was and they didn't have a huge savings before or feel like they needed to have a huge savings before deciding to have a kid they had children because i think not only was it was it the norm but they i think just maybe implicitly felt like it was something they wanted or that it was the right thing to do or that there was joy to be found in it or that it was just the norm, maybe some combination of all of those. And uh, so, yeah, they decided to and they didn't have this, like, I guess, angst that our generation has, you know, for reasons we'll go into when it came to the decision of deciding to have kids. It was just more, I guess, a matter of when and how many. Um and I thought that was interesting because I've all of my friends who are married that I've talked to 
who are our age, um, it's been like the cost benefit analysis is the first thing we kind of talk about. It's, it's on the, you know, it's the first topic that we address when we talk about this kind of decision, you know, and how our lives are going to be upended. And, you know, that can be, that can be, you know, criticized or uphold it depending on how you feel about this situation of having kids. But yeah. Um, I don't know what is that. Has that been your experience with your friends and talking about having kids too? Is it, is it, uh, what is the amount of people that, you know, want to have kids and don't look like in the couples that, you know, who are our age? Yeah. I mean, I think that you're saying that, that people cared less about the economic calculus back in the day, but I think that's just because the economic calculus was very different. Education was a 20th of the cost. You didn't necessarily have to pay for your kids to go. And not having a college education was not as big a gap as it is today when you pretty much have to have a college education to get a lot of jobs in the growing, growingly technologicalized economy. Second thing is that regular wages for workers have gone way down in comparison to the market at large. And so not only do people have less to give, they also have to pay more to have. And so these two yeah. things have both changed against, at least in the United States, against the economics of having children. Um, yeah. And I think that that's definitely part of it. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, there's also the social side. I don't think not having kids is nearly as much of a taboo as it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, definitely right. not 40, 50 years ago. And so that is certainly something where someone who's on the fence or a couple that's on the fence might wait a little longer to decide and then maybe decide against or maybe have only one child instead of two or three. I think there really is, there's two, my guess would be there's two peaks. I don't think it's, it's non-monotonic relationship, right? So there are going to be, imagine you're born in the 50s and you went to college in the 70s. Even if you didn't go to college, which you'd be less likely to do, you would have started a family probably, you would have been thinking about having kids around 25. Yeah. That has been pushed back by at least four or five years on average. While the yeah. biological clock that still exists for many women and people in couples who want to have kids before they get older has not moved very much at all. And so you've just narrowed yeah. the actual gap of people being able to have kids. So even if you decide, yeah, we're going to have kids, you might not have three or four because there just isn't time or space or money. You'll only have one yeah. or two. And so I think these factors are all contributing to just the inability to change things biologically with the pressures of the modern economy, pressures of the modern workday, pushing into this kind of work-life balance problem that you see in the United States. I mean, this is particularly the United States, but I think it's... It's a problem elsewhere as well. I think the 20s and the 30s now have become when you're supposed to find yourself and live the good life when you have a job. Most people 30 years ago had children by the time they were 30. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think this kind of upward pressure, right, of having to, have, to be college educated or having to now have a graduate or postgraduate degree, depending on what field you go mm -hmm. into. And this obviously isn't true for all fields. Like both of my brothers have undergraduate degrees and have really well-paying jobs that they're happy with. So of course, but on average, know. the gap and the amount of people that have had to go and get 
upper level degrees or college degrees sure. to make a difference is much higher now. Yeah. And, uh, and the return on investment is also lower, exactly. which that's the kind of catch yeah. 22 that we're talking about. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was also talking about with, uh, Jeff second shout out Dang, about, um, <laughs> I know somebody who, so say, so I'm, you know, applying for jobs right now, right. Uh, to all these full-time faculty positions that I'm not qualified for. And so I'm probably not going to get any of them. Right. <laughs> But part of that we is... We believe in you, dude. I know you're <laughs> yeah. willing to have kids, so they should be bringing you on, the next generation, college-paying students for that university. This is the full yeah. package. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Being like, you should hire me because I have two kids, that will be fun. And I'm, I'm very Christian, so... so it'll probably be like four or five kids, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, and I'm Catholic, so I don't believe in contraception. Boom, you're in. Yeah, that's what you should lead with on your so, cover letter. <laughs> I know. So, um, oh, basically, you know, you're. I'm competing with dozens and dozens and dozens of people, applicants for one position, right? And I'm 27, and my CV isn't what it will be when I'm 32, right? Mm -hmm. And so. If you're a woman who is in my position, you know, and wanting to get a full-time faculty position, let's say, and I know this is kind of a vanishingly small portion of people that are in this position, but we'll just give this example as kind of one end of the extreme or like one kind of, yeah. kind of poll, right? So if you're a woman who's 27, who is just finishing her PhD or in the middle of her PhD, which is probably more likely, um, and you're, so say you're 29 and you just finished your PhD and, uh, and that's pretty early. Let's still. say for this, I'd say the average PhD finish is probably like 31. Yeah. So yeah, let's say, you know, anywhere yeah. from 20 to 32, um, and you're applying for all these positions, right? Mm -hmm. And this depends on the field too. So, you know, some like kinesiology right now is a lot easier to get a job than, you know, the humanities. So that's fine. So that's another variable, but still you're like probably competing with dozens of applicants who also have PhDs, who are also, you know, early career researchers or wanting to transfer the university that they're at um, and they're more experienced for whatever reason. Yeah. And so how do you, when do you say, okay, now is the time to become pregnant and then have a child? And that's basically 18 months. So nine months of being pregnant and the first like year, let's say of, having a baby where it's the first year being it's like pretty much totally reliant upon you alone as the mother right and so how, how do you figure that 18 months into your cv right like how do you figure that amount of diminished uh research articles that you're publishing um uh grants that you're not writing classes you're not teaching all of this stuff right? Books you're not writing, all of that stuff. Like that gap is going to show itself on your CV. So I think a lot of women in the position that you and I are trying to do or be right now are putting that off, right? Until they can kind of get settled more into the 34 range. And I think this goes for a lot of women in a lot of fields. And so certainly the writer of this article talked about um, doing IVF and some of the Danish women, the what they call solomar, single mothers by choice. Um, 
which has been growing apparently since 2007 are doing. Um, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's, it's just like an unfair, um, reality of nature, right? That, yeah, still the conception period or fertility period is, is limited to what it's always been. Like you were saying. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is pretty much most people agree. This is the major reason for the gender pay gap is especially if you think about a small company that's going to choose between one of three employers they have on, on their entire staff. And they're choosing between a man who's 31 and a female who's 31, 30. There's an incentive and a pressure for them to pick the man because there's much less, it's much less likely that they have to miss a substantial period of time that their small business would not be able to cope with if they had a child. Or a law firm. Exactly. I mean, any any company, business, anything, these pressures exist. The modern work experience, the way that we use value seniority and our entry-level jobs really have a large impact on our salaries 20 years down the line, are dramatically affected by differentials in initial working levels and just perceived working levels. And so even if you're a woman that's not planning on having children, that is something at the back of an employer's mind when they're doing hiring decisions. Um, Which is technically not legal, but is still, right? Yeah. I mean, and even even still. with most places will give women longer on um, for child, child care and, and maternal leave than paternal leave, which most of the time barely exists, if at all. And while this sounds like a good thing, by giving women a longer period, they've made the decision in a lot of people's minds that they're going to miss more work and they're going to have to pay someone who's not going to be there. And the, this, the, right. the obvious choice is not to shorten the amount of time women give with their children, but it's to make it equal for men and women to spend time with their children, which is not only good for the child, but also would allow for these types of biases, which are economically based, not discriminatory in, in a gender sense, to be taken out of the equation. And I mean, there's lots of problems with that in terms of giving people longer wages, which is why it would have to be top down, like, like a lot of the state centered stuff in, in Europe. But almost all the evidence shows that this has a dramatic impact on the gender pay gap. Yeah, it's also interesting, too, because I think the conversation, so in America, we're not even having this conversation right now because we're too preoccupied with all of the other things that, yeah. you know, we're talking about. Um, so, but if we were to have this conversation, I feel like it would be generally, it would be baby boomers and Gen Xers telling our generation, like, look, there's so much, like whatever investment you put into a child, you get back tenfold in um, just how gratifying it is to to raise the human being into this world and just that whole process there's a certain amount of just magic to it that you, that you cannot anticipate trust me right and then we would hear that advice and be like it's still kind of theoretical and abstract and yet we have the very concrete numbers of okay it would be this much for daycare and, you know, my wife would have to then work part-time or we'd have to get, like, a part-time nanny, which we can't afford because we're paying rent that skyrocketed 
right, since the 80s, too, and there's no rent control in any of these major cities. And we need to live in the major cities because we have to get this job that are only in major cities. Um, and so even if we, like, agreed theoretically with that advice that is given, the timing and, like, when to do it, still kind of feels like beyond our reach, you know, or at least beyond my reach. Yeah. No, I mean, these are very real things that we've, you know, we deal with in, in everyday life. I think there's, it's a variety of factors that's contributing to this drop. I, this is why I'm coming back to the point of like, is it a bad thing? Is it, it may be bad for the economy overall, but that could also be kind of written away as, I mean, we hear we had other conversations about automation and the loss of jobs. If there are just less people right. around, that's actually not a loss of jobs. That's rising wages for the people that are left. Unless yeah. you need a, you have a, an economy based on manual labor, it's not as big a problem as a lot of these people are are making it out to be, in my opinion. But that doesn't mean every country can do that because a lot of economies are based on manual labor. But the United States, well, is, is not. especially if like adoption rates were to rise and like the foster care system was to have an influx of quality people. I'm not optimistic enough to make the case that that would happen, yeah. but that could be one kind of unanticipated positive consequence of, you know, declining birth rates. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I'm, I'm optimistic. I think lower birth rates too low is obviously a, a problem and is a sign of, of issues in the long run. But lowered birth rates are usually a sign that the economy is healthy rather than a sign that the, the economy or the country is doing poorly. The, the countries right. with the highest birth rates are usually countries that have very low education rates for women, discriminatory practices. Um, they don't practice great health um, healthcare practices, contraceptives, those sorts of things that can promote economic growth and you know, stable family planning. Yeah. I think the other thing, too, is that it's hard to picture a world with noticeably less kids in it or less people because we're, we just constantly see what the current world is, which is more or less has been a replacement birth rate that's not just now declining, but we haven't yet seen how that decline has impacted society. So it doesn't. it feels like an invisible problem. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I also just... I, I wonder how much of this is a backlash from the like moral social side of like, oh, you're going to – people of the older generations thinking that younger generations are not – are going to miss out on something rather than it being an actual problem in the sense that like social or economic systems are actually going to decay if this continues. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thought. I think um, what would – So who would be making that, do you think the generation as a whole would be making that argument? Because, I don't know, it's hard for me to, to figure like the kind of moral social side of it, how that would play out other than in the individual family. Like, do you think it would play out in any other sphere other than the nuclear family where it's like, hey, you know, you've been married to your wife for six years now. Are you kind of, I'd like some grandkids, you know? I mean, I, th I still think that the, the nuclear that family or? is the most pervasive form of socialization that the United States has. 
I say what you will about the decay of the nuclear family, but unless you're going to try to bring in something about work, there really isn't another sphere that's as influential, even remotely so. I guess friend groups, but even friend groups, I think if you have friends who have children, you could definitely, at least in my case, attest to the fact that this certainly continues um, as a form of rationalization or not to those generations of people. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing to think about because you think about it just it just seems like we're the first generation in the history of the world to maybe question the very foundation of whether this is something that is needed or that we want, you know? And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a good thing. I'm just it's I it's interesting. It could be a a really bad thing. It could be neutral, you know? Um, just that I don't know if Gen X and baby boomers would have, I don't know. I think there's too much of a different, like we'd be talking about different conceptual planes to be like, what do you mean? Cause it, cause it hasn't been questioned for their generation really before. So they're just, it's just a given. So how would you kind of bridge that conceptual plane of like, but this is what life is. It would be like, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard for me to picture that in any way being a productive conversation because just sharing this the same conceptual framework is, seems impossible when it comes to that conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why it's interesting. I think that's where this conversation comes through is in individual com- like individual. Like in the individual and their family sphere is where people debate these things, and maybe yeah. the expansion of people into more familial or more friend centric or uh, work related spheres where having children is not necessarily seen as the central reason for the continuance of the relationship is right. something that has just kind of slowly precipitated this. Um, but I, I still I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing unless their rates are so low that it's actually going to lead to a dramatic consequences for the entire society at large. Um, it, yeah. And if and if they're so concerned, then how about we come together and lower uh, college costs or reformulate the healthcare system to allow? For you know children? that's not going to happen. Well, then I would say I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I guess I guess that's the problem with our generation not not being receptive to these arguments is that I think we're receiving the argument to have kids as if it were as easy or financially viable as it was 40 years ago. Yeah, or that or, you should or view 20 it as a ago. non-economic commodity, but everything is a decision, right? And I don't even think it's I mean, we're it's not always the decision of having I think more so than the decision to have no kids versus one kid. I think it's more about the decision to have, you know, three, four kids versus one, two. Right. And I think that is really where a lot of these numbers have dropped because there are so many few, fam- so much fewer families that have had large, you know, children groups rather than just one or two kids that they can actually pay for. They can actually feel like they're paying attention to, even though a lot of that. A lot of the science behind that is shown that that's not necessarily true. I think that's the perception, um, especially when society. I think there's still as much value placed on children 
within families today as there was probably more so. I think the statistics show that mothers today spend more time with their children than mothers who stayed at home in the 50s. Because oh, it's just a very different style of, of child rearing and the prestige yeah. of one's child is seen as so much higher. Yeah. That it's it's a very it's not necessarily that children are seen as less valuable. It might even be the opposite. If children are seen as more valuable, then it's worth investing lots of time into one or two rather than yeah. having three or four and you know trying to hit the jackpot essentially. That is really interesting. I think that. Um, so this uh, this article talks a little bit about late capitalism, mm-hmm. which um, it links to this Atlantic article that gives a pretty good summation of late capitalism, um, and it's. I don't know if it originated in this, but this is the first time I saw it was reading Frederick Jameson's book, Postmodernism or the Cultural Logic of Late Capitalism, which is which this Atlantic article argues. Jameson you know, argued that the globalized post-industrial economy had given rise to postmodernist culture and art. Everything everywhere became commodified and consumable. High and low culture collapsed with art becoming self-referential and superficial. So... The kind of idea that uh, it's almost the the self-centered nature of capitalism and the hyper-individualism is actually now personified in the very art that we're producing because we can't really look further in the past than, you know, the 60s, right? So it's just this idea that why... Like, our generation, raised in this late capitalism structure, sees the only things that our societies essentially value as consuming and producing and achieving, um, you know, or, or what the New York Times article would say, extract, optimize, earn, achieve, grow. That's kind of the capitalist ethos that we were raised in. And so we imbibed that and don't necessarily see how having kids in any way fits into that, especially if you're not raised in any type of like major religion. And so it, I don't know, it's almost like a non-starter, I think for a lot of people in our generation, because um, the late capitalism, which we have to kind of like work our asses off anyway to do halfway decent then doesn't in any way have any framework for valuing uh, having kids. I never understood whether the, the term late capitalism was incredibly optimistic or incredibly pessimistic. Are they? I see it as incredibly <laughs> pessimistic. Like, what's coming next? Is it going to be like like new capitalism and then st- or some new form that's even better? Or is it just like everything is going to collapse and we're all going to die? Um, either way, it seems like projecting that this is the late version and it's not going to continue can't be... It's, it's got to mean something. Um, I think it's more. I think it's more descriptive than prescriptive. I think it's just trying to. I think it's just trying to diagnose what this, you know, what, like how, the art world and the uh, advertising or consumerist world are merging, and how you know why that's produced. Brady and Ellis or Blade Runner, or art that's very much predicated upon like looking at how those influence each other and being self-referential to current pop culture rather than being like the modernist T.S. Eliot type 
referential where you're talking about Greek mythology and weaving in James Joyce and all of this other stuff, you know? That's interesting. When In my field, we don't talk about it to do with art at all. Late-stage capitalism is a is entirely just a political or social thought or, or term. Um, but that's yeah. interesting to hear it and infused with idea of modern art being a expression of this form of, I don't know, nihilism in a way. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess small m, lowercase modern art, yeah. like contemporary yeah. art, postmodern mm-hmm. art, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting, I don't know, like, d- did you get the sense of your colleagues currently or like the people you went to college with, is there any type of appetite for having kids? Quite a few of the students in my PhD program actually do have kids. And there were like ongoing arguments as our student union with the, the university to try to get um, to improve the policies for uh, maternal and paternal health care and, and those sort of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that might just be specific to PhD programs because you kind of don't have the choice to wait till the end, especially if you start a little later, which a lot of people do. Um, you kind of have to sort it out beforehand, especially since you don't know where you're going to be working after that and your life is kind of up in the air. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What about you? Um, I guess the there's kind of the extra element of a lot of my like friends and colleagues are Christian, so there's a little bit, I think, more of a definitely like propensity for having kids or seeing that value. Dude, don't you know, put this on the don't put that. this on the heathens, dude. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's a little bit more. But then you know, talking to some of my Christian friends, they're like, "I don't know, man. I ran the numbers. I don't see it happening." <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, well, personally, wh- what, what if, do you think? Uh, what would be the ideal number of children in the future Eddie Matthews household? Well, yeah, that's that's what I was well, going to say because we're kind of like so. circling around the obvious question. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. So three years ago, I would have said two, and I would have said that's definitely in the in the plan in the in the books. Yeah. Um, now, being twenty seven and single and really trying to like land a full time faculty position in the next five years, and knowing how hard that's going to be to kind of swing. Uh, so let's say I'm 32. Um, I don't know. And, and, and just like the, the amount of student debt that I would prefer not to even talk about is still even like <laughs> yeah. a, yeah, we didn't even that's mention not, that. Huh? That's, I know that's no small, it's not a small undertaking to be like, all right, now's the time. And this money that I could go to paying off student debt is now going to go to daycare. It's, yeah, like, it's such a, I really the timing just, honestly yeah. cannot picture myself doing that. Like it feels irresponsible. The, the biological timing also just exacerbates everything we've been talking about, right? It's like right when you finally get a job where you can pay for things and you're actually making things in the black instead of the red is like now yeah. you're going to spend a ton, a ton of money and your free time on this child that's going to be here for at least 18 years. And totally you, by the time it actually leaves off to college or wherever, you are going to be old and you're not going to be able to go on that hike you wanted to go to anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and I heard that the kids never even pay you back. Exactly. For all that I mean, raise. That won't be the, I'm going to have them, see, they're going to come out with a pen and I'm going to have my lawyer stand by. So 
That's I remember funny. listening to a podcast. I think it was a Freakonomics episode, and it had this football player, Philip Buchanan, uh, on the pod. And I think his mom tried to sue him over because he made millions of dollars as an NFL player. She like wanted him to pay her back for raising him. <laughs> Did it work? <laughs> Even though he bought her a house, oh, wow. you know, that's, and everything. That's pretty greedy. If he already bought you a house, I feel like. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it's really hard for me to to, to picture that if I'm being 100% honest. I honestly think that I would have, I mean, looking at, like, looking at your parents, you know, like, how huge of an impact they had, not just with having their own kids, but kind of stepping into the foster care system, which is pretty broken in this country. I think I might potentially have a, a, I might be more well suited or well positioned, you know, partly just because of the trajectory I chose to, to help and like lend some healing into that foster care system than having my own kids. That's kind of where my headspace is at right now. I mean, I think that's, that's amazing. Um, that's more of like a, a moral barrier that if we can get past, will really aid society a lot more than a lot of these other solutions, right? Yeah, what, what about I mean, you? Especially if we're talking about the idea of like, some of the, the reasons people cite for opting out of having lots of kids or any kids at all is kind of the antinatalist or the climate change and like the future is going to be terrible, so why bring people into it? Or I think that's bullshit. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that. But you could say that you couldn't argue that bringing a child in, in the United States you know, is going to do certain amount of damage to the earth based on averages. Um, I don't really buy any of these arguments, but I buy that people do think about them. Not me, but other people. I buy yeah. Them. Maybe. I think that's probably a small percentage of people. So a lot smaller I still, percentage I of people than I agree with you. I think it's the economic argument is by far and away the, the one that's contributing the most. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't I don't want to have kids for, for a while. Um <laughs> which is I just read earlier in preparation for this podcast that the oldest person known to have had a child was 96. So I uh <laughs> I've got a little a That's little. impressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my plan is uh no, I think I think I I do want to have children. My wife and I have have said that down the line we will have kids most likely, but it won't be anytime soon. And hopefully we can have at least like five years after I graduate and we have a jobs together and we can just enjoy ourselves beforehand um, rather than so, driving in right away. Yeah, because that's the other thing I hear a lot with, you know, among my friends and just our generation as general. And, and that appeals to me too, yeah. where I was like, I don't kind of want to get married and have kids right away. But then if I get married at 33, and let's say my wife's 30 or 31. Dude, or see, I think this is the problem. I think you need to expand the number of women then you could have like four could just keep <laughs> i've been off the pod i've been advocating for this for years monogamy is dead i think half of our listeners are just former partners of yours so that's <laughs> if nothing else it's boosting our numbers so that's great <laughs> yeah what so what would that look like for you and noms like when you're yeah, how, I mean, like how old would that so mean that you are? Fortunately, I mean, this is where like, like she's slightly younger than me, and it doesn't seem like a big deal. But it actually is like it would be a massive difference if she was like slightly older than me instead, sure. because the the biological clock stuff is pretty soon. I mean, it depends. Like, I think at thirty, our plan is to go in and see some doctors and be like, all right, how much 
how are we looking, how much time we got, how, how are the swimmers swimming, and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> take a... What, so three years? Well, that, that'll be when we check and make sure we have lots of time, you know? If we oh, okay. win and they were like, dude, do you like, do you have one swimmer left? Then we'd have to like, you know, resort to, but until then we're not even really thinking about it. But then I would say the ideally it would be like 35 for me and 34, 33 for her. But I, yeah. I, no, I get like in terms of the timeline, yeah. I 100% understand that. But then if like, is it not just a biological fact that women as they get into their later 30s there's like a massively higher chance of something going wrong and the for you know absolutely i mean that's why you have to go in and make sure everything's looking good and you're taken care of and and that's not cheap either you know like we're talking about ivf stuff earlier or freezing eggs all that stuff is insanely expensive yeah yeah like i don't know what exactly goes into the freezing process but it must be a lot more complicated than it sounds on the surface because <laughs> I, you can't put them in the yeah, fridge. I have seen the costs on some of these articles, and I'm like, that's ridiculous. I I don't understand. <laughs> but you uh, have to like label your eggs, yeah, so that you don't misplace them. Then you're the other normal carton. Exactly. But uh, um, yeah, I don't know. That that's the plan. Yeah. We don't really have a, a great plan, but yeah, I mean, I I'm not rushing it at all, and my. Yeah. It would be ideal if I could get a job after academia and we could chill for a few years and see. Yeah. So we actually made a, a diaper list the other day. So it wasn't actually. What's a diaper it's list? It's like a bucket list, but it's before you have to change diapers. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Only our generation would think of something like that. But yeah, I mean, that was my way of. But e- even even what you said about that, that indicates how you and I and the rest of our generation are thinking about this, where I don't think you would ever hear a baby boomer saying like, cause that to us indicates of how much gravity we're putting with this decision of having a well, kid. I think that's a good and thing. I just think that's a new thing. <laughs> I think that's a good thing though. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Like... Well, it, no, it is in terms of all of the kind of obstacles that we have to put up with, but maybe it's, a, maybe it's not a good thing in terms of, if, the, if that raises the bar, um, just the, if that raises the barrier of entry high enough that people just are like, screw it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, and it, it definitely affects how many kids you can have, right? But let's say I waited till I'm 35 and then I had a kid and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Even if I was like, I want to have as many kids as possible, I could have like three <laughs> at that point, right? Like there just wouldn't be that much time to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know pregnancies. Take a while, I heard. Yeah, and and as you get older, I mean, it becomes more complicated. Like you said, it's more risky. It's yeah. So. Yeah. Um, huh. what, what do you think is the first thing on my list that I was like, this is non-negotiable? Oh, before you change diapers, your diaper this list. This is my diaper list. Yeah. Uh. Well, obviously, Liverpool winning the. Premier well, this League. is these are things I can control. They're mostly like things we can do or places we can. Is visit. that something you cannot control? Unfortunately, not. Or we win every <laughs> year. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the first thing you put on your list? Uh, move to San Diego. That would be good. I would be down to move to San Diego. The number one thing that I've always wanted to do that I haven't done yet is to visit New Zealand and do like a like a like at least like a week camping trip in the South okay. Island. That's like uh, sweet. 
that's my non-negotiable. That's attainable. Like, yeah, I mean, I tried to make it legit. So yeah, I feel like if you make any list and then you make it insane, where it's like you have to visit every continent, it's just not going to happen. But yeah, that was that was probably I think the biggest I, stretch. But I still think I can do it. What were some other things on the diaper Let's list? See. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble with my wife for sharing this, but um, one of them was a safari in Kenya. Uh, visit cool. Yosemite. What? That's an easy one. And, well, some of them are pretty easy that we just haven't done. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, we uh, learn a language together was one of them. Uh, okay. We're planning on taking some swimming classes next next quarter anyway. You so. can do all those trips and just drop your kid off with Uncle Eddie. That's true, that's, that's true. We could do... Or her. The, the, the Uncle Eddie trip, the Uncle Eddie list, maybe after after we have kids. We can uh, see yeah. how it goes. Um, scuba diving is probably the hardest one, I think, on the list. Yeah. But it's not impossible. Can you imagine looking after someone's baby? <laughs> How terrifying would that be? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I think you're getting out of it, dude. You, I'm, I have this on recording now, so... so I know. When I show up at your door 15 years from now, <laughs> I'm know. like, dude, here's two kids. See you in three weeks. <laughs> yeah, true. I'll just make sure that I never share where I live with you. <laughs> dude, I already really. know you're by a street, as you referred to earlier, so I'll check yeah, you Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. No, that's interesting. I think the I think the thing that probably a lot of listeners I know because we have voluminous amounts of listeners listening to this. Um, the thing they're probably thinking is like these guys are talking about it in a very like oh down the road when it happens kind of way. And I think the most obvious critique of that thing is is that down the road is never. You know, you think if you're not, I'm not saying that you're like I still picture you and Noms having kids, but I think like it makes it a lot easier when you're in your 20s to be like, oh yeah, my life's gonna look this way, um, and I'm gonna make these decisions. And then I don't know if if anything from 20 to 27 has shown me about adulthood and growing up, it's that a lot of your plans don't necessarily uh, either they're just not straightforward they're not straight lines you know they're circuitous and strange and i don't know so i guess i'm just <laughs> yeah i mean i think this is like there's no ideal example i think the best case for this is that most m- most women and men in the united states have said that on average people want 2.3 kids and i was like that's weird why would you want a third of a kid but uh, i think like, <laughs> like, none of the statistics show actual people's experiences I think it's this aggregate right. measure that looks at all these things contributing, right? It's the economic factors. It's the, right. the idea that it's actually less socially, yeah, no, so more less of a taboo to have fewer kids or even no kids at all. All these things contribute to individual cases adding up over time where people have one less kid or no kids or decide to go to Switzerland for a year rather than settling down. I don't know. But uh, I do think it's it's no one thing. But it's the fact that it's happening all over the world in almost every developed country shows how powerful this this movement is towards lower fertility rates overall. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if this is just a, a like an evolutionary fact of developing economies. Like, if in a hundred years this is going to continue to be true, you know, mm-hmm. or or if there's going to be this like interesting. Like threshold that once a GDP gets to here, or once you know we passed this year in 
history then like oh no fertility rates started going up again i mean it could be yeah if we the entire economy changes to be automated and people finally get we should do an episode on on a four-day work week i'd be really down but uh finally yeah work less and less and decide to actually enjoy life maybe then we wouldn't need to wait until we're 35 we'd say oh we have the weekends four days off since we were 25 and yeah we did everything we wanted to because we had a different decent you know baseline pay or ubi or something Uh, so you never know but uh, the way that the global economy is organized now makes it likely that this trend will at least stay the same for a while yeah yeah well, did we solve that problem? I think I think we probably convinced a few people to have fewer kids. So <laughs> if, I don't know if, if that's good or bad. But just listening, or maybe knowing that you're single, a few people are are uh, trying to to get in touch, and maybe we'll have a few more kids down the line. You never know. It could be. People can always I reach mean, out. <laughs> who knows? Who knows how many I already have? But that's probably. I think you alone are keeping it at one point seven. I think really the number's closer <laughs> to one point five. Definitely some outliers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh hope that was enlightening for you listeners. Um we'll have to do a we'll have to do a companion episode to this in in ten years when we've been doing this pod for eleven years. And uh and we have five kids apiece and we're like, oh wow, that was we were off. You know what five kids apiece means? That's what? ten more listeners right there. <laughs> <laughs> Do it for the pod. All right, man. Until next time. All right. Until next time. Good- Later. Adios, listeners.